Welcome back to the Transforming Cities podcast. Each episode highlights ideas around rethinking the way cities are evolving. We discuss planning, design, technology, development, and other fields that contribute to the urban experience. On this episode, we're speaking with Jay Wall, the principal and creative director of Rally Rally. And it was funny, like when I came home, my plan was like, oh, I'm going to like put together my portfolio and like go apply for like a real job that I'm excited about. <laughs> but I got home and their like, inbox was just like full of requests from, from prospective clients being like, hey, I got your name from someone. Like we have this project, you know, would you be interested? And so I kind of got home. I was like, okay, I guess I'll do this for a while. I'll knock out these projects. And then after a few months, I was like, oh, I, I think I just accidentally started a design studio. Like, this is my new, my new life. Based in Toronto, Rally Rally is a design studio dedicated to social change. Jay is an advocate for communications and graphic design that encourages inclusive public participation in transforming our cities. I'm your host, Chris Arnold, and I'm excited to get started. Let's jump right in. Jay, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Chris. Great to be on the podcast. So I want to dive right in and let people know a little bit more about you. So can you give us a background about uh, who you are and kind of where you've come from? Sure. So I'm coming to you today from Toronto, a city I've called home for 13 years. I am a graphic designer with a passion for cities and social justice and the intersection of those things. So I'm the principal and creative director of Rally Rally. We're a design studio dedicated to social change. And so by that, I mean like we use graphic design and communications to help advance lots of important causes. And we have a particular interest in doing that in urban contexts. And so that's why we're chatting today. Yeah, that's great. Um, and we met, I guess, last year. We had been following the work that you've been doing for about a year or so. We finally reached out, said hello, and then... When we found ourselves in Toronto, we got to meet up. You gave myself and my business partner, Bryant, a great mini tour of downtown Toronto, which we really appreciated. And obviously, you felt like a perfect fit to, to hop on the podcast with us and, and chat more. So thanks again for joining us today. You're welcome. Yeah, I really enjoyed showing you and Bryant around, like even just that, that short walking tour of downtown. You know, I find the most like the best way to connect with a new city is just to be on the ground and, and take a look around and like and especially to hear a local's perspective on like what's great and what are the growing pains. And and we have a lot of both of those things right now in Toronto. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And something that came out of that conversation that has stuck with me is how intelligently you speak on design and architecture and, and systems of the city. So as we get into the meat and potatoes here of the interview, let's just kick things off with sort of your origins as a designer. Tell us about how you became a designer. Sure. So to take you back, I actually grew up in a small town in Northern Ontario, pretty like a rural upbringing. And I had like zero interest in cities. Like my idea of a city was like drive down to Toronto for a Blue Jays game or something. You just see highways, expressways, towers, and like a stadium and a parking garage. And then you're back at the highways. Like I had no concept of like, oh, you can like live here and have an enjoyable like quality of life. And there are like ideas and perspectives that can shape you and that are just like make this a really vibrant place. So that was kind of like my prejudice growing up. I was obsessed with sports. I would actually draw logos of imaginary sports teams and even like roll out this big sheet of paper <laughs> in my living room floor with my brother and like draw like maps of imaginary countries. Wow. So I was just like a big like kind of map and 
a design geek, although I wouldn't have like used those words back then. And I guess this eventually led to an interest in pursuing graphic design. So, you know, when I was 19, I reluctantly like left my small town and like moved to Toronto, the big city, to give design a chance. So I went to a design school at York University and Sheridan College. And those are actually like fairly suburban campuses in the city. And, you know, for me, highlighted the contrasts and the many different perspectives that exist within the city. And I think like, you know, being here over the last you know, 13 years has really shaped who I am and, and challenged me in a lot of ways. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would owe that especially to, you know, coming from a small town and coming to the big city where there's lots of different people from various backgrounds and lots of different lived experiences that were different than my own. That was really like valuable for like illuminating my perspectives on on the world and especially in, in design and, and communications. Yeah. So as you made that transition from kind of small town to big city, it's it's a little bit like that you know stereotypical story of you know kind of spreading your wings and becoming the the man that you are today or or however you want to say it. Obviously, a big part of that transition in that process was design, print systems, um, information design. Did those early days of sketching, you know, fun logos with your family, did that kind of follow you into your time in Toronto? And that did that interest in graphical systems stick with you in sort of that same way? Or did it, how did that evolve as you got yourself into design school? Yeah, it, it took me a while to, I think, realize that path and to kind of realize that one thing led to another in that sense. Actually, when I was a teenager, I got like super into punk rock and was into album. Art. Um, one of my favorite studios was Invisible Creature, based out of Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I briefly, you know, when I was 18, 19, I played in a, a hardcore band in North Bay, uh, Ontario. And, you know, that was really like where my, my heart was at. It's like being obsessed with, with music and the visual culture that surrounded that. And that was what led me, you know, to pursue design. Like, and, you know, my interest in like sports logos was still there, but like not so front of mind. You know, but once I got into, you know, design school and learning more about the world, I sort of realized like there's so many different ways that you can be a graphic designer. And while I was a student, I had a lot of friends who were like starting nonprofits or small businesses and I would do their logos and websites, album covers for friends. So that was kind of like how I got started as like, you know, kind of as an independent designer doing stuff for my friends for like very small pay, but just kind of like figuring it out and making mistakes and having fun exploring those possibilities. But then also like during my time, at school, I got more interested in politics and, and social issues. And that led me to spending a summer working as a design intern at Spacing Magazine. If you don't know Spacing, you gotta check them out. Like they've been around for like 15 years now. And they're dedicated to urban issues and, and public space and city politics and, and and things like that. Yeah. Were you drawn to them for their design angle or was it more so the kind of the city and politics angle? You know, I think it was a curiosity. You know, there wasn't anything about their particular aesthetic that drew me to that magazine more than any other publication. But I was kind of curious about this whole urban thing. And so it was more of like, I wasn't like Spacing's biggest fan at that point. I was more sort of like curious to explore that possibility. And they were really interested in having like a, a design student who could help like up their game or bring a fresh perspective. I actually, you know, like my main assignment that summer was doing an, an illustrated infographic of clock towers uh, okay. in the city of Toronto, like the, <laughs> including those that are no longer around. That seems fun though. That seems like a, like a perfect sort of blend between design and, and getting your, dipping your toes in the architecture aspects of the city. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And even like we were even making merchandise with like old logos of the former little boroughs that eventually would become the city of Toronto. And so like that was neat to sort of just sort of do some archival work and then like, you know, present these this merch to the world as like <laughs> cool urbanist design geek stuff. Yeah, right. So yeah, so I mean that that summer at space and I really credit as being like a an eye-opening moment in my life and in my design career. And more particularly in my interest in cities, you know, coming from this guy who was like not really interested in cities growing up and then kind of becoming more open to it through my university days. And then, you know, eventually that it was the summer between my third and fourth year of school. I moved from the suburbs into downtown Toronto around Kensington Market. If you know it, just like this very vibrant neighborhood. Yeah. And that summer, I say like I fell in love with Toronto. That was like a turning point for me. Like no looking back and head over heels like dedicated to like wanting to do something great in, in yeah. the city. So, yeah. Okay. So you're, you're firmly now grounded in Toronto. You are a student. You're getting close to wrapping up your time at university, time at, time at school. What do you call it in Toronto, in, in Canada? Uni- um, university? Yeah, or? university. Okay. So you're wrapping up your time in university and you're firmly rooted in sort of the, the city life. How does that impact you as a designer? Kind of like what, what happens next that is worth noting. You know, in that summer after I finished school, that was a, a notable a notable number of experiences for me. Actually, first I, I left the city for a couple months. I went and traveled to Guatemala with a nonprofit called Operation Groundswell. Their whole deal is called backpacking with a purpose. Essentially you're, you know, volunteering and learning about like international development, but really from a perspective of like education and and partnership, kind of like critiquing conventional like white savior approaches to mm-hmm. international development volunteering. So that was just really eye-opening time. Like I got to work with indigenous Maya communities in Guatemala, um, learning about the realities of social entrepreneurship and like kind of tricky complexities of international development, like including how, you know, you know, Canadian mining companies are doing some pretty sketchy things in in Guatemala and other places around the world. And I think a lot of that just like stepping away from a computer for a couple months, even stepping outside the city that I love and seeing like more perspectives just helped me realize like how much I still had to learn. Um, right. So I came back from Guatemala. This is the summer of 2010. Three days later, I come home. Uh, three days after I get back to Toronto, there's this thing in Toronto called the G20 Summit. I did not know what the G20 was. But I heard that there was like thousands of police and people were getting randomly like stopped and arrested on the street. So I went out and joined the protest. There was like this massive jubilant parade of like tens of thousands of people uh, on the streets downtown. I was a part of that. And like there was really a, a spirit of solidarity. And I was, you know, I clearly would not identify as an act- activist at this point in my life as they're more sort of solidarity and protesting against this overwhelming police presence. But you know what what happened is the day after that, I was walking down the street, like downtown Young Street, pretty close to you know where uh, I brought you and Bryant <laughs> a few months ago on our on our walk downtown. Yeah. And a bunch of like police officers just like came out on their bikes. They pointed at me and they're like, "This guy, let's get him." So I was just swarmed by a bunch of cops, arrested, and essentially disappeared off the street for 28 hours. No one knew where I was, and I was locked up in a cage with about a thousand other people in a detention center. That had been you know, designed by the police to respond to the the protests that were surrounding the G20 summit. Wow! Yeah, so there I am, handcuffed for a day and a night and a day, locked up in a cage. And eventually, I get out, and I'm like processing this trauma. 
and I, you know, it was really dehumanizing experience for me, but it also helped me realize my privilege in a way that I hadn't before. Like, oh, like I made it to my mid twenties without having any reason to fear the police and, you know, learning that actually that's not the reality for a lot of people who don't have the same privileges that I had growing up. And so coming through processing that trauma, I decided that, you know, if I was going to have an upper hand in this situation, I had to kind of turn this negative experience into something positive. And so it was in the months that followed the G20 that I decided to to commit my life to to social justice. Yeah, that must have been. And let me preface this by saying there's a little bit more to that story. It's a little bit more involved. And, and we spoke briefly about this before the the podcast, but we will share a link to a video of your sort of full story that's on YouTube in the show notes so that if anyone's interested, they can go back and kind of get the full context and all the details because there are quite a few other traumatizing details that kind of came out of that story that shed some light on kind of that transition and that decision to commit your life towards the social justice issues and design around those issues. So we'll certainly share that. But, yeah, thanks, Chris. That's, yeah, that's appreciated. Absolutely. But taking a step back, wow. I mean, what a major pivotal moment as a young designer to almost make it clear for you, this is what I need to do, right? I mean, did you have a sense of, you know, my mind is made up and this is what I, this is my purpose now? Yeah, after that, I did. You know, in my, in my senior years of design school, you know, I was realizing that a lot of the, the graphic design uh, field as we know it, or graphic design as we know it today, is basically been around since the Industrial Revolution and rooted in consumerism and capitalism. And I understand that's a current reality of our world, but I, I was like hopeful and like not sure if I was being naive, but wanted to do something more meaningful than uh, a lot of the conventional design that's oriented towards advertising or selling stuff. But I didn't really know what that looked like. And my time interning at Spacing helped me to see that there was maybe some possibility there. And then, you know, coming out of this G20 experience that totally solidified it, like, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure this out and like devote my energy to something that I'm passionate about. And, you know, I had actually tried a couple design jobs like over the course of a year doing more kind of like digital marketing work. And like it was cool. Like I, I learned some things that were beneficial from being in a studio environment and seeing how someone else like runs projects, but my heart wasn't in it. I, I knew that. So yeah. yeah, I actually went back to Guatemala like, the summer after that to actually run the Operation Groundswell backpacking program. And <laughs> it was funny, like when I came home, my plan was like, oh, I'm going to like put together my portfolio and like go apply for like a real job that I'm excited about. <laughs> but I got home and there, my inbox was just like full of requests from from prospective clients being like, hey, I got your name from someone, like we have this project, you know, would you be interested? And so I kind of got home and I was like, okay, I guess I'll do this for a while. I'll knock out these projects. And then after a few months, I was like, oh, I, I think I just accidentally started a design studio. Like this is my new, my new life. Yeah. So that like that was the turning point where you had the G G20 summit experience, you took on a couple jobs, you went back to Guatemala and you kind of got home and you realized, I have people that want me to do this work for them. And it almost is becoming the origin story of J-Wall Design. Is that, is that kind of how it happens? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, so after a few months of doing that, I go and I register my business as Studio J-Wall. You know, at, the name, at the time, that was just like the name of my independent practice. And I had aspirations at the time you know, to, to do work that was aligned with my values and work on 
on social justice projects and, and stuff like that. But I also found it to be a challenge, like as a relatively young designer with not a lot of street cred <laughs> at that point in like the nonprofit and public sphere. I ended up doing a lot of like low paying or like free work for grassroots organizations or collaborating with artists or, or startups. And, you know, and I was like privileged to have like a little bit of cash flow to allow me to do that for relatively low money for a few years and just kind of like scrape by. Yeah. But then I knew I was like, okay, like after a couple of years of that, I was like, okay, I need to get more intentional if I'm going to make this thing sustainable. And so G20 so, was the summer of 2010. Yeah. You started your own design shop almost by accident by 2011. Is that about right? That's right. And so what, tell us about the, you know, the first couple of years, obviously scraping by young designer figuring out, you know, what's going on here, but what were those first, you know, handful of years like for the business? Yeah. Well, I'd spend like a lot of time going to activist meetings and just sort of like pursuing things that interested me or that I wanted to learn about and not necessarily things that were like feed, like going to feed directly or immediately into my design business. But I found like, you know, relationships uh, with people in these various networks, like eventually started turning into like more project opportunities. So I was able to like, you know, for example, like one year spacing got back in touch with me and like commissioned me to illustrate the cover of their cities for people issue, you know, and then that got the attention of uh, the McConnell foundation in Montreal. And then they became like a key client and they had some pretty big projects. And so, you know, eventually things started to, uh, to snowball, to use a, a Canadian term, uh, <laughs> snowball and, uh, you know, become a little bigger. And I was able to, you know, hire my first employee in, in, uh, in 2014, eventually over time started getting, more and more recognized for this kind of work and but also getting better at doing this kind of work. Sure. And I think there was a, a moment when that really validated that for me. In 2015, I was selected by Next City. Uh, Next City is a nonprofit organization based out of Philadelphia that does great uh, reporting and, and publications on uh, cities, uh, but they also run events. And so they have this uh, this gathering of kind of young or emerging urban leaders every year called Vanguard. So I was selected for this group of 40 Vanguard fellows in 2015 and kind of recognized as an emerging urban leader from, you know, around North America. I was one of two Canadians, went down to Reno, Nevada and had a really interesting experience there. How did that make you feel? What was that feeling of recognition like after so many years of, of just getting started and kind of having that feeling of, you know, scraping by at least at, at the very beginning? Yeah, like like I said, it definitely felt validating, but also encouraging that other people saw what I had always seen and the potential for this kind of work. You know, this idea that design can enhance events, social change, or communications can help make urban policy like more accessible. Um, these were themes that people I was talking to at the conference were really excited to hear more about. You know, and even presenting some of the work that I'd done and hearing about like these leaders from from cities across America being like, that's really cool. I wish we could have that in our city. I was like, okay, like I, this is encouraging. Like I'm definitely onto something and I'm going to like keep, keep riding this wave and like keep growing these relationships and, and advocating for this kind of work. For listeners who don't know about Vanguard, can you give us a brief description about what Vanguard, what, what their mission is and kind of what your involvement is as someone who's been selected for that group? Yeah, so in my own words, like I would say Vanguard isn't a conference. It's like a three-day gathering in what is like the next city. So it's not necessarily like 
the Torontos or San Francisco's or New York's of the world. It's, you know, these kind of uh, sometimes smaller or mid-sized cities or even larger cities, but it's sort of like added a critical point in their in their history when there's like interesting challenges they're facing, a lot of local energy, and also like an acknowledgement that they want to tap into some fresh ideas to kind of take things to the next level. So like over the course of the three-day gathering, there would be like a lot of site visits. You know, so you're not sitting in a conference hall. Uh, there are some talks and some presentations and some panels. But I think one of the most interesting parts is like just walking around the city or taking transit, going to meet with different organizations to hear about their work, whether it's on you know housing policy or urban agriculture uh, or transit or public consultation or art and economic development, like all kinds of great themes. And so part of it is like meeting those local organizations, but also like having a chance to really intimately interact with these other inspiring people from around North America and, you know, a few others from around the world who, who come, you know, as it's just like 40, 50 people. It's like a really strong gathering. And one of the interesting parts of, of Vanguard is that it, you get put into these project teams of about eight people and you're assigned a particular site or organization or opportunity in the city. And over the course of a couple of days, you on the side of all these site visits and everything, you work with your project team coming from many different disciplines and perspectives to come up with a proposed solution or, or idea for this host city. And they call it the Big Ideas Challenge. Yeah. Vanguard is, is a great organization. We, we will for sure be giving a link to that in the podcast notes as well. So if anyone's interested, they can uh, follow that link and learn more there too. Yeah. I definitely recommend checking it out. I mean, I've actually like fallen in love with the Vanguard experience and I've gone back every year since 2015. So yeah. I was in Reno, Nevada, and then Houston, Texas, Montreal, Quebec, and then most recently in, in New Orleans. Yeah. It's fantastic. So, so Jay, so kind of moving along the, the timeline here of your history, we're now at a point 2015, 2016, the studio is really taking off. You're doing great work. Not too long after that is when I notice you and my company notices you and we reach out and connect. That was right around the time that you were actually rebranding your company into a new version or the next iteration of the company. Tell us what that name is and how you arrived at that point. Sure. So, you know, going back to the beginning again, like I founded the studio as Studio J Wall. It's just my name back in 2011 when I had. Not really any like particular long-term plans. I just knew I wanted to do this work. And so I had pictured it as an independent design practice. But eventually, like as interest in this thing grew, I was able to like expand my team. We were carving out like more and more of a niche around what we call design for social change. And I knew that we were getting to this critical point where the keeping this name was going to hold hold us back and also have me too much at the center of this thing. So you know, in 2017, we said, okay, we need to start working on a new name and a new brand. We engaged a whole bunch of our friends, collaborators, and clients. We facilitated exercises, creative exercises to get us thinking through different themes and ideas and identifying like what are our values and what sets us apart from other design studios. You know, we landed on like over 500 different name ideas. Of course, lots of those were bad. <laughs> yeah. That's like the way things go. Like a lot of bad ideas come out of that, but like a few nice gems emerged. And came to the surface, and and one of the themes that that kept coming up was the idea of rally, uh, rallying around causes that we care about. And then we reflected more on like you know for us it's not just the causes we rally around or what we work on, but also like who we work with. Mm-hmm. And so we thought of adding a little extra bounce to the name by calling it Rally Rally. And um, so as much as Rally Rally is a name, we also say it's the call to action. You know, to join us in this mission of 
of advancing good work. Like Rally Rally is a is a place for not just designers, but people who are coming from their own perspectives, whether they're activists or city planners or architects or policy researchers, like to come together under this platform, under this banner and do good work together. Yeah. That's yeah. Amazing. So that was that's really great. the name. And you know, that was really the name. And once we had a name, we went through a brand design process just like we do for our clients, except we did it internally. And we ended up developing a visual identity system and a website to show the world our work and what we're all about. Yeah, that, that's great. So, and, and what's the website for that again? RallyRally.design. Awesome. And, 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 and yeah, we'll, that's Rally, like R-A-L-L-Y, RallyRally.design. Yeah. I have a special... Uh, I don't think I've told you this, Jay. I have a special love towards the name Rally. That was actually the name of my first dog who I had for about 12 years. So... I named her Rally for much of the same reasons because she would sort of rally the troops and like get everyone together and ready to go. <laughs> oh, so that's in, awesome. In kind of a cute little way, I'm like, oh man, I love the name Rally Rally because uh, it holds special meaning for me too. So great job on the name. I love thanks, it. I, I'm sure lots thanks. of people do too. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I appreciate hearing that, that personal connection to the name. A lot of your work, Jay, is centered around these themes that we call design for good, design for social change. We've thrown around some of those phrases on the on the podcast so far. Tell us how you define those themes. Mm-hmm. So you know we're not the definitely not the first ones to to use these kinds of terms. Um, over the years, we've actually even evolved and are probably still evolving and how we talk about our work and not necessarily like what we believe the theory of change is, but more of like how we articulate that in a way that's accessible, in a way that like strikes a chord with current wavelengths of society, but without being like jargony and alienating. And so, you know, it can be called social impact design, design for social good. Uh, what we've landed on is design for social change. And part of our, our reasoning for, you know, really leaning into design for social change is that through our ideal projects, we like to focus on changing systems. So we're influencing policy or shaping the way the world works. And it's all informed by a lens of social justice. So it's not just like band-aid solutions that might have a nice feel-good vibe, but shallow long, like shallow short-term impact. We're more interested in that, like that deep long-term impact. And I think design for social change can, you know, really speak to that. At the same time, like it's funny, like words like this can actually be a bit off-putting for some people who might think like that's too radical or too social justice-y. And so, you know, at risk of getting caught up in that tagline of four words. What I really like to explain is that we amplify the efforts of forward-thinking organizations through creative strategy and graphic design. We advance solutions to global challenges like climate action or human rights advocacy or equitable urban planning. And all this comes from like our belief that design and communications can play an important role in creating a more just society. So that's really like what we believe. And you know, we like rallying around these causes with other visionary people and their communities. And so regardless of like what label you put on it, like that's sort of the ethos, the perspective that we bring to our design practice. Yeah. And I have to imagine when you walk into a new client meeting for the first time and you represent yourselves as designed for social change and you give these great eloquent descriptions about what that means, I'm sure there is a time or two where a client kind of gives you the the blank stare and you have to sort of almost go down a level and explain it on a little bit more of a personal level with a personal appeal because I imagine that from time to time that that explanation can get a little bit lost on people even though you have the best of intentions i can imagine how that could maybe be a little bit too elevated for for certain people or certain folks to kind of grasp what it is that you're actually doing yeah absolutely and, you know and i don't you know i don't hold any grudges for anyone who like looks at us with a blank stare or who kind of raises their eyebrows in a suspicious way and, you know 
we are at the end of the day we're communications specialists and so you know we know that messages have to be tailored to the audience and you know we have run into situations where we're explaining our work and and why we we're talking to this organization and like why we think we're so well aligned and then they're like well we're actually not a social change organization <laughs> right you know we do you know we do this and this and this to advance like meaningful social inclusion in society and i'm yeah. like well <laughs> <laughs> Like, can, like, so it's like, we're actually really well aligned from a values perspective, but we just had to come to an understanding of like, maybe like that label wasn't the right thing. Sure. Yeah. And for those who are interested in kind of going down this rabbit hole even further, maybe we could share a link to a blog post by my friends, Loki. They're based in Montreal and they're also describe themselves as a graphic design and, and social change studio. And they do a lot of like really great critical writing and thinking and, and speaking around this notion of design and, and social change and social impact and you know sharing links to other studios who do similar work but also really uh, critiquing and diving into the nuance of what we mean by those words yeah let's definitely share that link so perfect transition right now what types of projects do you work on that kind of fall under the umbrella of design for social change let's let's get into that to use an american phrase maybe it's a canadian phrase too but the meat and potatoes we're here. We're 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 deep into it. So let's let's jump right in. Yeah, totally. So we work on a wide range of issues, ranging from climate action to human rights advocacy to health or participatory city planning, just to name a few. Like we work on all kinds of topics that align with our interests and values. And in terms of like describing what our work is, like our core expertise is in graphic design. But what we do goes beyond what's conventionally understood as graphic design. So you know, we'll do things like communication strategies. Holistic branding packages and like a whole variety of outputs across print media, digital media, and even physical environments or, or public space. Yeah. So, give me an example of physical environments or public space. Like, what what comes to mind as something that kind of aligns with the work that you've done in the past? Yeah. Well, one cool example there is we worked on a site called the East Scarborough Storefront, which is in Toronto's inner suburbs. There's this old police station that was getting converted into a social service hub kind of a community center. And they had this like unused parking lot with fences around it. <laughs> and as part of this community-led transformation of the site, we worked with local youth to design the graphics for a new sports court. So they were transforming this parking lot into like a basketball slash soccer court surrounded by a community garden. The landscape architects and, and, and planners were involved in that. And then we came in to actually facilitate a workshop with these youth, You know, where it's not us saying... Okay, we're the design experts. This is what it's going to look like. But it's like, hey, this is your space. Like, what? What's your vision? What do you want to see here? What reflects your neighborhood? And so that was a really like enlightening moment for us. Yeah. What yeah. other projects uh, come to mind that you might want to highlight that sort of meld all of these strategies and all of these design solutions together? Yeah. Well, maybe just to give a few different buckets of the kinds of things that we often work on. Yeah. We're really known for doing campaigns and toolkits to encourage public participation in, in shaping cities. So in those cases, we'd often work as the communication design partner of, a, of an urban planning or architecture firm, you know, making this like this public engagement process uh, or public consultation uh, more accessible to a broad audience through like a really thoughtful storytelling and messaging and branding. We'll also do publications to make public policy more accessible and digestible. Lots of branding and websites to help organizations tell their stories or grow their movements and amplify their impact. We know that like graphic design and good storytelling can really like help take things up a notch. Like you might be an organization or business doing like great work, but people don't quite get it, or like 
you're not quite showing the level of expertise you carry. Yeah. And so that's that's where we come in. And even like beyond this stuff, we even dabble in murals or tactical urbanism interventions. Like we're always looking to expand our toolkit and team up with new collaborators. So like we're I think we're pretty interesting as a as a design studio from that perspective. Yeah. One of the, you know, relating to all of those examples, one of the things that we talked about before the podcast that maybe we still don't have a great grasp on how to ask the question, but it's it's something that I brought up that I didn't really know how to how to phrase that well. But all of these ideas, I mean, they're they're complex ideas, they're complex design and communication challenges. In your words, how do you approach these projects to then untangle these these complexities with your clients so that there is a way, hopefully, right, to describe or to educate the public at large project to project? Yeah, this is a really challenging but important question. For us, this all begins from the belief that cities are for everyone. And so if cities are for everyone, then everyone should have a chance to meaningfully shape the city. You know, it shouldn't be limited to those who have formal power or privilege. We really think that anyone should have uh, an opportunity to like to meaningfully participate and engage and shape the future of their city. And a lot of that comes down to like, you know, public policy is really important, urban planning is really important, but a lot of people would think it's like, oh, like that's it's not for them. Like they're outsiders to those processes. And I think increasingly, you know, city governments especially are seeing the need to become more transparent and really look to the residents, to the broader community for input on these processes and, and to hear about their, their lived experiences that will inform the outcomes of these, of these policy processes. Yeah. You know, you could even bring it back to like just talking about democracy. You know, like democracy isn't just a thing that you know you do every four years voting. It's like the everyday working together for something that's in like the the interest of our our collective good, right? And so I think this is where making public policy more accessible through campaigns that say, "Hey, this is what's going on. This is what's on the table for discussion. What do you think?" And doing that in a way that presents information that's digestible, uh, that relates to people's day to day. That also like respects people's time and invites them to to give input that will ultimately like shape the outcomes of that. So and, we think like communications and design aligned with like thoughtful public consultation and planning really is like where you get a nice marriage of those things. Right. And and at Rally Rally, you have your own process to kind of get to those points. Is is, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And it's actually like the general process we have for our projects has uh, follows the same kind of journey, whether we're designing a brand, a website, or a public engagement campaign. And you know, of course, we tweak it to the particular needs and participants of each process. By the way, you're probably hearing me say process a lot. Definitely, that's like my Canadian coming through. <laughs> I know you. You know, you might prefer to say process or something like that. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm not um, from the south. It's not. <laughs> it's it's process for me. It might be process for others. You know, I can I can go twang if you want me to. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so for our process, we we break it down into four stages. The, the first one is, uh, you know, discovering what the the project opportunity is about and articulating those goals and, and objectives and figuring out like what is the tone that we need to hit and how are we going to tell this story, or what is the story that we need to tell. And then the second phase is developing concepts that address that or respond to that brief from a both a visual design perspective and like a messaging and copywriting perspective. Somewhere in there, like we work out the exact strategy of how this thing is going to get implemented in the world, and that that influences like the actual concrete outputs we're working on. 
we seek input from the stakeholders in the project, whether it's the client team or maybe sometimes it's representatives from the broader community. And then we choose a direction and we refine that together through a couple of rounds of feedback and iteration. And then in the fourth phase, it's really bringing it all together and rolling it out and activating it out in the world. And then from there, you know, we will we look at how it's being received and tweak and adjust the course as necessary. And there's a project that we t- we talked about um, highlighting on the podcast from that for change minded mindset as the, as the designer that you are. It's called More Than Transit. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yeah. So I want to take you for for a moment to Windsor, Ontario. So this is just across the river from Detroit. Um, Windsor's a city of about two hundred thousand. It's uh, it's growing. It's it has a influx of newcomers and a lot of international students, and also you know it's a resilient city that's struggling with uh, some economic challenges, but also on the, is on the cusp of greatness. And there's some really great local advocates and, and champions even within the city government who have some brilliant ideas. So this project is actually uh, initially was called a comprehensive transit service review. Basically, the the public transit system there is called Transit Windsor. They wanted to look at, you know, as the city is evolving and growing, how do we need to adjust our public transit service to better address the needs uh, of our future city? And so we teamed up with our friends at Dillon Consulting to tackle this project. And they're really leading the technical side. So looking at things like bus routes, uh, fare structure, customer service, vision and mission for the future of of the transit service, and and all of that. And, And our role here was to support public engagement in the process. So we wanted to make sure that Windsor residents had a way to share their thoughts on like, you know, what are the current pain points with transit? Or also in the context of a city where only four or five percent of, of Windsor residents actually take transit, like most people drive. How can we evolve the the service to better meet their needs? And so they would consider riding transit or how can it integrate into other modes like like cycling or, or car sharing? So we came up with a campaign to position this transit study as something that would uh, appeal to Windsor residents across the spectrum. So for starters, we named it. We explored a few different themes and options and landed on more than transit. For us, more than transit is a way of talking about like transportation. It's not just like getting A to B. It's like this is really a thing that can give Windsorites access to opportunities, whether it's going to school, getting to work, going to the hospital, or getting, getting the social services they need, meeting up with family and friends, or recreation, or really the integration of transit into your day-to-day. So we developed some messaging around that. We designed a a visual system which we'd call a project brand that builds on that builds on the current elements of the Transit Windsor logo, which is something like thirty or forty years old, which is pretty retro. But like we wanted to like make it more bring springboard from those elements, make it more contemporary. So we designed this pretty comprehensive campaign. We had ads on bus shelters across the city and inside buses. We had uh, graphics up on social media. We created a little video. And all of this was used to funnel people towards public consultation activities or to the website where they participate in a, in a survey to give their feedback. And we're now at the point where we got tons of input and our friends at Dillon Consulting are sifting through all that feedback and, and looking at a lot of possibilities with Transit Windsor. And we're actually going to be spending some time in Windsor this spring doing a bit more field research and actually evaluating the current state of the brand and marketing to help give some some recommendations for how they can consider evolving the brand in the future to make sure it's aligned with the great aspirations of the transit service as a whole. Yeah, and so like stepping back from this, like we've just like have loved working in Windsor and 
being a part of such a meaningful project. And, you know, on the surface, like, I think most people wouldn't think, oh, public transit, that's social change. But when you get into it, like all the all the social, environmental, and like health benefits that come with with transit, which I'm sure is no surprise to a lot of people listening to the podcast, we know there that you know it's important to to advocate for this kind of thing. We wanted to make sure that the outcomes of this project were as successful as possible, and we really saw an opportunity for for design to elevate that. Yeah, what really strikes me about the work that you do, Jay, that that you've done for many years, that Rally Rally is now carrying under that name is the the level of curation and, and thoughtfulness around not only the work that you do, but the team that you have built around you to do the work. And that brings me to kind of one of my wrap-up questions, which is why does it matter that you have the people on the team that you do? You know, why not just bring some student in, you know, that's just graduated college to knock out a logo and get some campaigns going? You know, what is the importance of building the right team around you so that these projects are successful in the way that you want them to be successful? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I'm certainly grateful. I'll start with that. There's a lot of gratitude for the people that you know that we get to call our teammates. And yeah, we've intentionally built a team of folks who are passionate about these issues that we work on. Some of us are more into like the urban policy geek stuff. Some of us are maybe more passionate about art or mental health or like education and social inclusion. So we bring all those perspectives to the table. And we all have a shared appreciation for the value of process, like thoughtful design process to get you to that place. Like you don't just knock out a logo. If you want to do it well, if you want to have a comprehensive system, it takes some some expertise, it takes process and it takes good teamwork between us internally, but also externally with our clients and our project partners. You know, and we find the clients that come to us like they really value that perspective we bring to the table. They don't have to start from zero explaining to us like what their issue is or why it's important. Like we already have a pretty nuanced understanding of things like city planning policy and we already have a an ear to the ground on like what are the what are the latest trends in, in technologies or in well, maybe like the latest controversies or PR PR issues around uh, around things like transit or planning. And so we're sensitive and we're attuned to those things and our clients really value that and we find it's like beneficial to to the process. And part of the reason there is to like we're not just making something visual removed from a context of the real world. Like we are telling stories, we're communicating about real life things that that impact people. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of stake. It can be risky and often our clients are prepared to take that risk, but they there's trust in working with Rally Rally. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to put it. Cause I think oftentimes when you think of design, when you think of, you know, quote unquote, ad campaigns or communication campaigns, there's this sense of separateness. There's a, there's a disconnect between what the actual cause or context is and the actual art, communication, design, and messaging that accompanies it. Yeah. And that's why like, part of our process includes that front-end research, like finding out on the ground, what are people talking about? What are the hopes and fears and concerns that people are bringing to the project? You know, whether they're a decision maker at the city or whether they're a, a resident who's going to be affected by whatever the outcome of this is. And another important piece for us is like representation. So, you know, from a public consultation perspective, there's the idea of like who's represented and has a, a seat at the table in the process. But then also for us as designers, it's like, how do we make sure that those perspectives are represented and that people are represented uh, sensitively? So especially if you're dealing with topics like poverty or mental health or like international development, 
we want to make sure that we're always representing people in dignified ways. You know, this comes down to your choice of photos or the way we illustrate people and also the language that we use. So your average graphic designer might not be so attuned to those kinds of things. And we really try to keep an eye out for things like power dynamics and bias and how that affects the process, but also how it can affect uh, the design outputs and making sure that we can really stand behind our work from a visual perspective that we're proud of having, you know, like leading design work from a graphic design perspective, but then also be respected from a social perspective. Yeah. And, and you certainly, you, you mentioned this, you, you do have a lot to be grateful for. You have an amazing team around you. You're extremely talented yourself. I think it's clear that those sensitivities live within your team based on the work that you're putting out. Any other thoughts come to mind with regards to kind of why this matters to have that, that team around you before we uh, I hit you with the, the token final question? Sure. Well, I think just you know, con- contrasting the rally rally of of 2019 back to like my independent practice when I was like working out of my kitchen table like eight years ago, it's really valuable having different people at the table, and we can all sort of like contribute something different. Whether it's our subject matter expertise, or whether it's like something that we heard or something that we've seen, we find like this is really you know, beautiful intersection of all these things comes together through our design process and like doing that in isolation on your own as an independent designer, like you kind of miss out on that. And I think like, again, on the theme of gratitude, like looking back on the journey I've been on and the challenges and the many successes and victories along the way, like I'm really proud of it. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, Jay of 2010 wasn't actually as naive as I, as maybe <laughs> I thought it was. Like, yeah. I feel like I was onto something. And certainly not the first to be doing this kind of work, but we're onto something that's resonating with people and we're seeing it not just in the organizations and businesses and governments that hire us to do design work, but also in you know emerging graphic designers who are like just constantly applying to work with us or you know urban planning schools who invite me to come in and lead a workshop. Like, whoa, like what do I know about urban planning? Oh, it turns out I actually know something. These students have a very different like a set of knowledge than than I do, and like I respect that. But at the same time, they see something that I can bring to the table to help complement their practice. And so, like I find that that's really the spirit of Toronto these days. That we're seeing that uh, some of our best work happens when we cross disciplines, um, when we celebrate each other and lift each other up. So, really glad to be a part of that. Jay, thanks so much for joining us today. I I love this last question because I know you have some great answers teed up. Who else should we be paying attention to? in the space, who's doing groundbreaking work, who are you inspired by? Let's get into it because I'm really excited to hear your answers. Oh my gosh, this is like one of my favorite <laughs> questions. And we'll, we'll make sure to include some links in the show notes for some of these great Absolutely. people and organizations yeah, that I'm going to mention. So I want to give some shout outs to you know, people that we've worked with that we call our colleagues here in Toronto or you know, around North America. Some are individuals, some are, are businesses, organizations. I just like gonna bucket them in a few different categories. So some of our partners who are doing really interesting work at the intersection of urban planning and public engagement, Dylan Consulting, Gladkey Planning Associates, Crazy Dames, and their affiliated organization called Process. Maximum City is actually our office mates, uh, Think Fresh Group and Swern Facilitation. So, and we've learned a lot from them over the years. And I think they've also learned from us on like how we can do good work together, combining planning and public engagement and, and design. 
some shout outs to some folks who are doing really creative interventions in public space. Some of them are playful, some are more subversive or bringing social commentary. So we've got Daily Tous les Jours based out of Montreal, uh, Paper Monuments in New Orleans, and the Urban Repair Squad, who are some of my friends and occasional collaborators here in Toronto. Mm, I love it. Further sort of extending on the theme of our work in visual storytelling to help uh, help us understand our cities and how to get engaged. Shout outs to Adjacent Possibilities, the Urban Geographer, and the Center for Urban Pedagogy in New York. We just like do super inspiring work uh, around social justice and like beautiful design and illustration. Yeah. And then, um, you know, there's a, a few uh, women of color who have really like, influenced me and continue to inspire, inspire us. They're leading critical conversations around the intersection of social justice and urban policy uh, and even racial justice and how that fits into, you know, all these conversations around uh, livable cities. So Zara Ibrahim, who's uh, a dear friend and mentor of mine, Jay Pitter, and Denise and Rob from Courage Collab. And finally, just to celebrate some organizations who are doing great research and publishing and storytelling around urban policy, we got Spacing. Of course, that's where I did my internship. They also have a really cool store. If you're ever in Toronto, go to the Spacing store. Next City, who I mentioned, who run the Vanguard Fellowship Program. Evergreen, uh, they were mentioned on a previous podcast uh, with Megan Torza of DTH and the Ryerson City Building Institute. This so is, I could go yeah. on, I could go on and on. Like there's just so <laughs> much love for not just like these folks in Toronto, but others who are inspiring us around North America and around the world. So uh, just like a lot of love and, and thank you to all these people who continue to to influence us and, and inspire us and teach us every day. Absolutely. I mean, aside from the podcast and the in the interview itself, jumping into all of your experience and your background, it is it's honestly a pleasure to have. Uh, the insight and the the lists like you just mentioned, because I know for me personally, I'm absolutely going to have an afternoon in the future where I'm going to have about 15 tabs open, learning a lot more about the people around us that are doing great work. So so thanks for sharing those with us on the podcast. Hey, you're welcome, Chris. We'll have to have you and all the other listeners uh, in Toronto for a, for a weekend of of city love. There we go. Yeah. So Jay, tell the world what you're up to, where we can find you online. Um, as we sign off here, where where are you online? Sure. So you can learn more about our work at rallyrally.design. On social media, if you want to see some of our behind the scenes and some other day-to-day things, what we're up to and causes we care about, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, and Twitter. Our handle there is at rallyrally4. So that's R-A-L-L-Y, R-A-L-L-Y, F-O-R. My personal Twitter is at J underscore wall. And just if you want to keep an eye on something that's coming coming up soon, uh, we're preparing to launch a campaign around inclusionary housing policy here in Toronto. So if you want to follow us on social media, you'll you'll get a glimpse of that when, when it rolls out this year and you can continue to follow us. And if you have any any cool projects going on in your own city, feel free to tag us and we're always keen to connect and see what's going on and see where we can potentially team up. Amazing. Jay, thank you again so much for joining us today. Welcome, Chris. It's really been a pleasure. Transforming Cities is brought to you by Authentic Form and Function the digital design and development team that just might be a perfect fit for your next urban project. If you're a new listener, you can follow along at authenticff.com slash transforming cities, or you can simply subscribe through your favorite apps, including iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Thanks for joining us.